Hi, my name is Tim Sale, and I'm an assistant professor of history and the director of the International Relations Program at the University of Toronto. I'm really excited today to speak with Dr. Susan Colburn, a postdoctoral fellow at the Foreign Policy Institute of Johns Hopkins School of Advanced International Studies. Uh, she's also the editor of The Nuclear North, Histories of Canada in the Atomic Age, which is an edited collection that will be published by the University of British Columbia Press on October 1st, 2020. Dr. Colburn, or if you don't mind, I'll call you Susie. Um, what gave you the idea for this project? Where did it all begin and who participated? First off, let me say how wonderful it is to be here and to be talking in particular with you, Tim, as the co-editor of this, uh, this collection. The idea for this workshop really came from, I think, as many ideas do, from my own teaching and my research. I spent a number of years at the University of Toronto teaching Canadian foreign relations and working on, on related issues about Canada and its place in the world. And a lot of the literature focuses on one episode, the Beaumark missiles in the early 1960s. And the idea for this workshop was to think about Canadian nuclear history as something broader that incorporated but moved beyond uh, that one episode. And this was in part inspired by my own ongoing involvement and connections to the Nuclear Proliferation International History Project, uh, which has just been such a great source of comradeship and and ideas over my studies. Well, that's great. Well, you had this task then of bringing together a number of scholars whose work touched on some aspect of Canadian nuclear history. And after the workshop and the papers were written, you had the job of pulling all of these papers together and introducing them in the volume. So how did you do that? What did you see as a common theme running through these papers or maybe no common theme? There's, I think, two two pieces that I emphasize in the introduction. And one is actually a quite basic, but potentially controversial point, which is that Canada itself is a nuclear nation. It has, of course, the resources and know-how uh, related to nuclear technologies, but paradoxically no atomic program. And this dovetails with a second question uh, that I, I talk about in the introduction about the contradictions and tensions between Canadian participation in nuclear alliances and arrangements, NATO and NORAD, um, as and, and the tensions with other elements of Canada's foreign policy and Canadians' attitudes about their role in the world. I wanted to touch uh, base quickly on, on your chapter in particular, because it's a really fascinating one. There's a lot of confusion and not a lot of information about Canada and nuclear submarines. What's the story here? It's a really interesting case. So the government of Brian Mulroney in the late 1980s uh, tried to acquire and ultimately failed to acquire a series of nuclear-powered submarines. And this required extensive deliberations with the United States, with the United Kingdom, with France, and, and raised a whole host of questions about Canadian obligations um, and Canadian how Canada would uphold or might break norms in the international nuclear order with this acquisition. Uh, and so really the, the piece is just a preliminary attempt to sort of chart these, uh, these difficulties and the debates that surround it. But there's much more to study, uh, and I'm particularly keen to get the U.S. records from the Reagan Library declassified regarding this acquisition. Excellent. Great. So, I mean, just as a final question, who is this volume for? Who does it speak to and who might be interested in it? 
think it's a really wide ranging collection. And, and this was something that we had really tried very hard to do, right? To just be a sort of sampler about all the directions that Canada's nuclear history stretches in. So science and technology, nuclear power and the export of nuclear reactors, environmental dimensions, of course, diplomacy, arms control and disarmament. So I think there's really a lot for many different constituencies to see in this book. Um, yeah, so, so I think it's a really a, a jumping off point, I hope. Great. I want to turn now maybe to, to ask you a few questions, flip the tables a bit. So you wrote the concluding piece for this book and you called it Nuclear Victorians. Why? Well, actually, I owe this all to you, Susie. The idea comes from a document that you actually shared with me. And it's a briefing note from the early 70s that Canadian diplomats were given to brief host countries on Canada's nuclear role or position on nuclear weapons. And the memo begins with this really clear statement that Canada is not and never has been a nuclear weapons state. Then it goes on to explain just how important a role Canada has played in the nuclear defense of NATO, including the fact that Canadian troops and fighter aircraft had a very clear assigned nuclear role in NATO. So it's this wonderful splitting of hairs that let Ottawa have its cake and eat it too. It reminded me of the Victorians, who are, of course, famously prudish, uh, suppressed discussion of carnal activities in public while, of course, maintaining a high level of relations in private. We're, we're running up against our six minutes, but I wonder if by way of conclusion, you could talk a little bit about the value of Canadian archival records and use some examples from your chapter on the NPG. It's a great question. In the last nine seconds, I'll just say there's so much more Canadian history in the records, but there's so much international history left there too. So room for lots more.